All right, just to recap, so we're still talking about changing DNA and um, what I want us to focus on is what is our nature, all right? So just to recap, if we go to the next slide. So we have been looking at um, four, four icons, I will call them, that um, Mohammed Niku gave us. Kingly culture, righteous rule, revelation, and generosity. We spent a lot of time over the last two weeks just kind of talking around what do these mean to us, particularly from the perspective of what is our responsibility? How do we take responsibility for this nature that God is asking us to represent? We looked at, um, I think two weeks ago, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where God was speaking to the churches, and we looked at that they had a nature, but God was asking them also to represent something else, okay? And it didn't mean what they had before was lacking or bad, but God was seeking uh, uh, evidence of something more in them. And we said, when God shows up and asks us to represent something, it's our responsibility to ensure that when we look in the mirror, that that thing that God is declaring that he wants us to represent, when we walk away, that life must be able to see that nature. Okay? Okay? All right, so we look to the scripture, we look to the word, we look to the conversations, we look to times like this, and we behold something that God is saying, this is who you are. When we walk away from that thing, in the circumstances of life during the week, we can't have a situation where that thing is not evident in us and by us. Yeah? Those we come into contact with must be able to see that thing. If that don't happen, the Bible says it, and Jesus, not me, he says you're unfruitful. <laughs> yeah? I'll get quiet in the house. <laughs> if we don't represent and bear fruit from the deposits of God, the word of God says we're unfruitful. All right? But God says, as we continue to yield and to submit ourselves and daily lay down our lives, he said to those who abide in him, he would... He would prune, and you would bring forth much fruit. All right, so we looked at kingly culture, and we spoke a bit about relationship and obedience. We spoke about Adam. We spoke about Abraham and the others who, by relationship, by proximity and obedience, they were able to walk in the kingly culture. And we kind of touched a bit about what kingly culture allows us to do. All right? Let me see all those who have been either discussing, meditating, reading on the scriptures that we have been looking at over the last two to three weeks. All right. So we need to do a bit better. Agreed? We need to do a bit better. It says in Acts 17, 11, it talks about the Berean Jews. Anybody knows that scripture? The Berean Jews. It said these were more noble because they went and searched the scriptures to see that it was so. They were more noble than the, the church in Thessalonica, um, they, Paul said. And it said, because of that, many of them believed. And that belief that it mentioned in, I think in verse 12, was talking about something being established inside of their lives. So it wasn't just like the seed being cast on poor ground. Because of their faithfulness and diligence in abiding in what God was saying, they were able to produce much fruit. So to all of us here, if God is declaring something to us, we got to be faithful in studying to show ourselves approved. I think it said that in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. 
It says, study or two. No, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it talks about um, the ability to walk in the, in the power of dividing the word of God. It could be a reproof or it could be good for teaching. And we talked about, I think, in the first time I mentioned. I said, the word of God, when it comes forward, to me, it can be rebuking me because I'm yet to stand in something that God has been challenging me before. But to Pax, it could be a proven the thing that is already evident in his life. But all scripture is profitable, all right? But the extent to which we are faithful to it, the next time we hear it, it either approves or it brings a level of chastisement and instruction to say, hey, this is what you need to be. So I want us, over time, as we continue to fellowship on this, what is our nature that God is bringing to us, that we don't want in a season to come that we don't represent a kingly culture, righteous rule, a place where revelation is established, or a lack of generosity. Okay? Um, so, what I want to, if you flip to the next slide, you go down. So, we talk a bit about, yeah, stop there. We talked about, no, go back, Pax. We talked about earthen vessels. And I use the example of Coca Cola. So, over time, we have come to appreciate that Coca Cola is not defined just by the bottle, yeah? We know the bottle is iconic of what a Coca-Cola is. I think it's different from a Pepsi, a Pepsi bottle or, or, or a dark fizzy drink, all right? But for those who drink Coca-Cola, there's a distinct taste that you, your palate gets accustomed to. So you travel to any part of the world, they serve it in the bottle or in a glass or whatever they serve it in, you could distinguish that's Coca-Cola I'm drinking and that's not Pepsi or some dark and fizzy drink. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that he has poured this precious treasure into earthen vessels. All right? So when we talk about the nature of God, we're talking about more than just the vessel. We're talking about the consistent DNA or application or life that is inside of us. So if somebody was to encounter each of us, we walk out here one by one. We should all be reflecting the kingdom. All right? This is just vessels. But what God is after is what is inside of us. Okay? But if you go ahead. And this is one of the images I wanted to use just to amplify. Uh, so if you imagine that we see a man there coming out of a tunnel, his bag is cast aside. In time, as we walk through life, my expectation for me is that less of my, less of me seen and the light that exudes from me, the kingdom, is the thing that becomes more evident. Yeah? The Bible talked about, Jesus also said it. He talked about the Christ, that he abides in me, and I only do and say the things to which the Father says. So there's a sense to which less of the personality of who I was known for is the thing that becomes me. You know, many said, isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? That is the thing that we don't want as prominent in the minds of those we come into contact with. We want when they come into contact with us that they are seeing something more than our earthen vessel or the former person. Okay? I sat there and I, uh, um, on the first week and I said, when God desires to come and interact with us and to have fellowship with us, we cannot be hiding in the garden talking about our fallen nature. We saw Adam do that and God was very swift in um, exacting judgment upon him. Yeah, 
And I said, if Cadian was walking towards me in the park, coming from behind me probably, and I was sitting there talking about my limitations, what I dislike about myself, it, is, it doesn't make the atmosphere conducive for her to love me. She has chosen to love me, but if every time she comes to me, I show her my imperfection or my perceived imperfection, I talk about the vessel, then that doesn't produce an environment for the fellowship to take place, all right? And also, I made a charge to us that we cannot keep going back to God or sitting in the quietness of our homes or our relationships and keep reflecting on our former nature. I was this, I was that. Somebody may was speaking, I think it was probably Elsbeth or, or I can't remember who, and I was just saying, it's very interesting. We often describe the heroes of faith according to their iniquity or their transactions. David was a murderer. Adam was this. The disciples was this. And often when we look at it, as how the scripture really defined them, or Jesus called the disciples. He never was, hey, you are, you are a worthless fisherman. You are worthless. <laughs> Thank you, John. Yeah, you are worthless this or that. Most of the disciples were called according to their prophetic destiny. Yeah? God named them and called them according to the light that he intended to put inside of them not based on where they came from, all right? And we've got to be very careful not to reflect solely on our past mistakes or what we consider inadequacies, okay? We want to start to speak truth into each other's lives, and even when you're sitting at home, you've got to remind yourself of truth. You've got to change the bandwidth. You know, you're sitting, sometimes I put on the radio station, um, we used to have, I used to have a car rental company, and sometimes, you, you know, you go in a car and... Music that's blasted tune is almost, you know, you got to tune the frequency. I listen BBC Radio 4 now. I'm a bit 40, I'm a bit old. <laughs> but uh, I change the frequency to something that is more palatable to my ears. All right? But you have the control as well. So when you're sitting at home, and as John said, that like a six-inch devil comes here, you have to decide, are you going to listen to that or the Holy Spirit that was promised to us, the heirs of salvation? You have a choice. Yeah? It is not your past that controls you. Is you actively have a choice on what are the things that you're going to reflect on. So we're talking about kingly nature. Pax, if you go into the other one. I like this image. It says, light out of darkness. As I was getting ready this morning, I was looking at Gardner's will. Again, a bit boring. You see my age. <laughs> and interestingly, the guy was saying, hey, how to get ready for next year. Next year, spring, what he's doing in his garden. And if I turn that volume off, all I would see is death and decay. They were talking about fungus as well, bad fungus, and um, what do you call these things? Mushrooms and good ones. And if you look at that, if you turn that volume off, all you could see is death. You're seeing fungus, you're seeing trees dying, you're seeing dead leaves and stuff being heaped around on the ground and stuff like that. But if you turn that volume up, you tap into a whole different frequency. You hear about how mulching is good to bring forth next year's harvest. You hear about what was now dead and decaying bringing forth life in spring and March next year. And therefore, I'm saying we have a choice what reality we lock into. Okay? And when we look at this, when I look at this, I don't see darkness. Yeah? I see light coming forward. I see individual lights, but I see something at the very center. And I believe this kind of represents us as a church. 
Yeah? Together we form the light in the midst of gross darkness. But when we read that scripture as a child, growing up in a Pentecostal church and watching these movies and these reels, I used to get absolutely terrified. I thought Hitler was coming back and the Antichrist is going to do this and that and the other. When you hear about gross darkness, you could either be paralyzed by fear or you could also read on and the scripture says, light will shine out of gross darkness. And as I said, as the gardeners will this morning, I could have either seen decay and that which has passed or I could see that seed, that beauty that is coming out of ashes, all right? So we all still hang in this on what is our nature, kingly culture? Righteous rule. Back, so if you go ahead. So righteous rule. Who was Jesus Christ reputed to be? So these are interactive sessions now. The son of God. What? He was declared as the king of the Jews. Do we know any account where he was actually sitting on a throne ruling the Jews? Anybody? I think no. And I think righteous rule, I want to suggest, I'm suggesting now, <laughs> that righteous rule has less to do with external governance and essentially to do with internal governance. All right? Righteous rule. All right? So righteous rule having to do with internal governance. Um, just before we go on to second uh, Colossians 3.11, we'll spend some time there. We know the scripture when in, in John 1.5, when it talks about the light, shall, the light shall shine out of darkness. And according to the translation you read, I think the NIV puts it best. And it said, darkness could not overcome it. Yeah? And takes us back to that image I was talking about. That God has designed it and designed us to be as vessels through which light can shine forth. Yes, the scripture says we're all born in sin and shaping in iniquity. But you know what Romans 8 said at the very end? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And I want to put a challenge to us here because I've seen it evident in my life as well, that despite our past, there is the possibility by the grace of God for the will of God and for light to shine forth from our lives. Yeah? And I want us to be able to kind of lay hold on that. And that kind of helps us and positions us nicely for righteous ruling. Yeah? The Bible said he designed it so that out of light, darkness will shine. Yeah? Huh? So somebody's listening. I didn't even realize I made a mistake. <laughs> Lovely. All right? So out of darkness, the light will shine. I'll look at that scripture later because I don't, you don't seem to be convinced. But let us, let us read this, this one. It said, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Therefore, consider that your early body as dead to immortality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amongst the idolatry. And in them also you once walked, when you were living in them. But now put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, but Christ in all and in all. 
and we spoke, you know, first week I talked about the difference between the Jews and the Greeks or the Gentiles, those who were separated, but we all have the ability to come into a place of relationship with God. So righteous rule, I want to, um, as we focus on that today, is that righteous rule has to do with how out of my life, my past, I could bring a level of kingly culture and dominion that in every circumstance, what eventually comes out of me, that rulership, is because it's a manifestation of an internal settlement, subjection, and yielding to the Spirit of God. I think two weeks ago I mentioned that thing with the ship sailing along and Christ was in the stern of the boat and he was able to be in a state of peace and rest. And every time we see Christ exercising a level of dominion, it always came from a place where emotionally or otherwise, the scripture almost describes him as being in a place of peace and rest. And I want to suggest we can't rule things externally unless we first rule them internally. All right, we're going to look at some scriptures now. Patsy, if you go ahead. Um, yeah. So Matthew 5, 23 to 24. So if you're offering your gift at an altar and you remember that you have a grievance against you, leave it at the altar. First make your peace and then come back and present your gift. Um, and what I want to suggest with this scripture and the other one we're going to look at is that as we go before God in a terms, in, in place of fellowship, God is asking us to examine our hearts. God is saying that he has equipped us, the scripture we looked at before, to have a nature that is different to the one that we were born into. Yeah? The nature that we were born into, we had wrath, we had malice, we had idolatry, we had a whole manner of fleshly passions that were ruling inside of our hearts. And what God is asking us to do is as we put those things away, we can have an ability to lay hold of something more. And here, he's saying, even in fellowship with me, you are required to ensure that you are always examining yourself and where you have found things that are not in subjection. You've got to yield those things before you come and worship me. I have encountered a lot of believers, and I'm sure I probably have done it in my past, where it's me and my God. You know, and you talk about a sweet fellowship you had with the Spirit and a sweet worship session, or you had a real nice time in prayer, or God has been so good to me. But there's a lot of unreconciled things in your heart. And the scripture is very clear there. I'm not adding to that. The Bible talks about your personal responsibility of making sure that that thing is evident. Pax, if you go to the next scripture. Um, in Colossians 3 15 to 17. We, we looked at that before. It talked about letting the peace of Christ rule inside of you. But what I found interesting is that we talked about leadership before. Before we get to the place of teaching and admonishing, it first needs to be evident by being ruled inside of your heart. And I think we gave an example before. I was saying, follow me as we follow Christ. I cannot stand here and declare to you something that I think you need to walk in unless I have first given myself to it. That's a responsibility of leadership. We as parents cannot ask our children to walk in something that we are not subjected to. Yeah? We can't bring them up and nurture them in righteousness if we are not having righteous rule reigning within our hearts. 
All right? So I want to suggest that before we bring wisdom, before we minister to the widows and the orphans, we need to first have that thing reigning inside of our lives. Or we end up like, like Jesus Christ said, some of them who presented works that haven't I done this and haven't I done that, he will say, depart from me. Okay? So we're not pursuing works. We're not pursuing external manifestations. We want that thing to first be evident inside of us. We want to look like the image of the scripture. If this is a mirror, and I look at that mirror, when I look away, the kingdom requirement is that I am reflecting that thing that I looked at. All right? And I want to suggest that is fruitfulness. Max, if you go to the other scripture. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> All right. So he talks here about a community responsibility. Matthew 18, 15. It says if your brother sins, it talks about going in private and admonishing your brother. I don't hear the scripture quoted much. The scripture I normally hear quoted is if you have a beam in your eye, don't deal with the speck in your other person's eye. All right? But that scripture was written to hypocrites. John is a theologian among us. The scripture of, with the beam, in, the beam in your eye and you're dealing with the speck in the other person's eye. It wasn't written to us, the believers. It was written to hypocrites, those who were professing something that weren't true of themselves. All right? But for those who have already brought things in subjection, the Bible is saying we have the ability, as it said in Colossians 3, to nurture and admonish. And now in Matthew 18, 15 to 20, it talks about restoring brothers and sisters to their position of their true calling in God. All right? So the thing is contagious. It is not passive. Yeah? We bring things into subjection. We allow the rule of God to righteously reign in our hearts, we have the ability then to bring fruitfulness and increase through our relationships and those who come into contact with us. Okay? So it's, it has the ability, as Christ said to Peter, I would make you fishers of men. But Peter first had to die. Peter first had to deny his past, deny the things that he knew before, and daily take up his cross and follow God. Next one, Pax. So, this kind of lends itself to what I was talking about before. As we first become fashioned for God's purpose, then we have the ability to operate with iron sharpening iron. And we know iron, iron is not sharpened by wood, it's sharpened by iron. All right? This kind of allows us to kind of nicely jump off into revelation. When we look at this image, what do we see? Anybody? Fire, hammer, what else we see? Something means shape, sword, lovely. My, my, my again, I don't know what the scripture says, but my, 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 how I have packaged revelation in my head is revelation is truth in action, all right? Truth in action, not knowledge. So we don't study the scripture to become scholars. We study the scripture so it instructs us unto righteousness. Yeah? All right. When I see that, I see several things. Um, I see a hand, and that hand could be God. It could be leadership. Yeah? It's a bit out of view, 
but I see a hammer. That hammer had to be fashioned first before it could have impact on the sword. Yeah? Everybody agree with that? The hammer first had to be formed to have impact on the sword. And that kind of lends itself to what we're talking about with leadership. As we follow Christ, they are following us. Yeah? The fire. Gross darkness. Things that are chaotic or being consumed. But the expectation is that that sword is not going to melt and disintegrate into nothingness in the fire. As that sword yields itself to the hammer, to the hand, something gets fashioned. And let's metaphorically not just look at sharpeners, that's the edge of the sword, but let's look at it as the constitution of the hammer, the, ability, the constitution of the sword. The ability for the sword to have impurities taken out and to be more consistently strong and equipped for purpose has to do with how it yields itself to the hammer in the fire to produce what God intended. All right? So out of darkness comes light as we yield ourselves to leadership or to the word of God. The hammer could be the word of God. You could use that metaphorically for the word of God. As we yield ourselves to those things, we become more equipped for purpose. All right? And to me, that scripture in Proverbs uh, is talking about iron sharpening iron. It's talking about if I become personally responsible for my life, then I have the ability to instruct Tater to walk in the ways of God. I have the ability to contribute with John and the core team to walk this community to a place of becoming empowered and representing all that God requires. That I have the ability with my colleagues in the work context to represent the will of God. But I have to first be yielding myself, okay? And revelation is about taking the scripture, all the natural circumstances of life, and allowing them to come forward. I wouldn't go much more into revelation, but let me give you some scriptures just to take down. And if you could look at them home and probably in your households and, and home groups and kind of, kind of ask the Spirit of God, what is he saying? All right, so the first one, 1 Corinthians 2, we look at verse 9, and that talks about in us, God is producing things that we cannot naturally comprehend, but he's showing us the mystery. So it says, 1 Corinthians 9, it said, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God had for those who love him. For God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For among whom, among men, knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God reveals it. All right? So we're talking about wisdom and revelation coming forward from the Spirit of God quickening things inside of us. Next scripture I want us to take down. Matthew eleven twenty five, and that talks about the Father hiding things from the wise and revealing it to those who are called according to his purpose. Next scripture, Matthew thirteen eleven, and that talks about the secrets of the kingdom of God. Matthew sixteen seventeen, and that's when Jesus was talking to Peter. And he was able, in a moment, to reveal and to declare who God is, um, though art the Son of the living God. 
And we know that scripture goes on very right, very right after the verse when he yielded himself not to the spirit and he was, able to, he was declaring nonsense and Jesus said, hey, Satan, get thee behind me. All right? Um, so, as we yield ourselves to revelation, God has the ability to make the mysteries of the kingdom alive to us. But sometimes, they're deceiving spirits. And I'll give you scripture references for that as well. Um, if we look at John 14, 26, again, it talks about the Holy Spirit bringing things and revealing things. Romans eleven thirty three. Galatians 1, 12. Ephesians 3, 3, 3, 5. And then 1 Timothy 4, 1. That talks about the deceptive spirit. Yeah? It says in the end, some people will be led away by deceiving spirits. And we looked at something in Revelations 2, I think, um, 24, where it talked about people being led away. All right? So they're deceiving spirits. But also, I want to suggest, with all the scriptural references, if you look at that, and you really have an inquiring heart and a sense to say, God, reveal to me your truth, that God's spirit has the ability to produce revelation out of the word of God, out of the counsel that you will receive from those who you stand under as you continue to focus in prayer and otherwise, God's revelation of truth in action will become alive in your heart. But if we spend some more time just talking about generosity, Pax, if you go on, Go on again. Go on. For those who wasn't here, that gun represented my days in the weekend army when I was telling the community about when I was in the territorial army and desiring one day to get my hand. Patsy, if you just back up. That's an SA-80 rifle. And I came here on Ilford shop front, saw a recruitment sign to get in the army, and I saw that gun, and I was like, I am going to get my hands on that thing. And right after being issued it somewhere up in the Midlands, we spent a whole cold winter's day dismantling that thing and putting it back together until we could do it, I think, in under, I can't remember how many minutes, I think it's two minutes. But my hands bled, I cried. <laughs> um, and I hated that thing by the end of the first day. And we had many more days to go. But as time progressed... My interaction with that thing produced life. And they taught us how that thing was not just something to kill. You know when you just got that thing and you take you out on the range, you want to shoot everything. They taught you over time that that was an instrument to help you bring order, peace, protection, and all those other things. It wasn't just for my fancy. And I liken that onto the scripture. When you just got saved, the scripture is all exciting. It's all about me. And then it's all about how you come against the enemy and all that kind of stuff. But as God continues to produce revelation, it brings us into the place to exact righteous rule. So if you talk to some of those guys in Afghanistan, they have a lot of boring days where they have revelation, they have the sword of the spirit, like we have in a kingdom context. And you're not always discharging it, but when you discharge a bullet, it is not just to suit your fancy, it's to bring something more. So even though you shoot it to kill something... That has to be able to produce life, yeah? And a lot of guys in the army get court-martialed because they use that indiscriminately, yeah? 
And when you look at some of those scripture references I gave you about vain babblings and, and, and using the scripture and the word of God for revelation, um, that kind of brings a charge to us that although God gives us revelation, it is not just for our benefit, but it's to produce something. All right? And we've got to become wise stewards, wise stewards of the grace that God has given to us. We know when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan was trying to get him to forsake the righteous rule. He said, why don't you stone stones into bread? And he had to use scripture and revelation to come against the enemy. When he, the scripture said, cast yourself down. Satan wasn't lying. He says, it is written. But God is asking us not to discharge the weaponry that he has given us just for our fancy, but he's asking us to produce something else. All right? But we'll probably develop that more another time. Let's go on to generosity. I like this one. Something was provoked in me when I was preparing for this. I just couldn't understand generosity. I said, God, we are a house. We're going to finish in five, six minutes. I said, God, we are a house where we give generously to people. We open our homes. They're coffee evenings. We're very hospitable. And I had cause to go back and read this in Acts 3, 6. He said, Silver and gold I have none. I'm reading it in the version I learned as a child. But such as I have, give I thee. And it says in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And I had cause to say, let me go back and read the scriptures before this. Yeah? And in every scriptural reference I give you, I want to encourage you so that it's not taken out of context. As a good steward, try to go back and read the scripture and understand the context in which it was written so that you have a holistic understanding. What happened in Acts 2 is that the whole church came together and they were selling their possessions. They were in the temples daily praying and fellowshipping. And this chap that showed up in Acts 3, 3, Nathan is in house. He always kind of corrects me with how I say 3. Um, as this chap who showed up in Acts 3, he, <laughs> he, he, he looked daily at something taking place in the temple of God. He saw people sharing possessions, having food, fellowshipping, singing worship choruses, and everybody had everything in common. And he came this day and he said, you know what? I want a bit of that. Yeah? You come in the house of God and see people being healed or walking in confidence, and you could say, you know what? I want a bit of that. I earthly lost him for something that has been produced. Peter and they said to him, silver and gold have we not, but such as I have, give I thee. Yeah, just like Christ when he spoke to Peter. If you follow me, I would make you fishers of men. This is something more. So I want to suggest generosity is not just a dividing of our possessions. It is not just a sense of giving out of the abundance. It's not what we do at every Christmas or whenever we do it, spring cleaning, when you take all the clothes that you probably don't like and you go to the local charity and you drop it off, it is not given out of that excess. We know about the widow's might, where Christ pointed them to the lady who gave of everything she had, not the guys who were given out of their abundance. And therefore, I want to suggest to us as a community, Pax, if you go down, 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 down. Yeah, just stop there. So, 
kingly culture. We liken that to an identity. What is our identity? Many people who we encounter in life, they have a lack of apprehension of who they are, who they are designed to be. They define themselves as the earthen vessel. You could define Coca-Cola by the bottle, not the content. The guys in Coca-Cola is not concerned about the shape of the bottle. Yes, they have patented, but they are concerned about the thing that is in the bottle. So, our generosity, what is our identity? And we have an identity as a community. God has given us revelation. God has said we are relational people. We are, we are very giving and loving. And that is something that we can give. Hope. Prophetic insight. Perhaps if you go down. And I, I believe as we come into a place of being a house of maturity, the kingly culture, the righteous rule, and revelation could be the thing that we are able to give in abundance. Okay? Anybody agree with that? More than sharing cars, going on holidays, dividing things that we buy and sharing clothes and passing it around. If we become a people who could give hope, walk in relationship, walk in obedience, give a sense of identity when somebody's defining themselves according to the old nature, we could declare, hey, this is what the word of God says you are. Then we are given something that is everlasting. Because our cars will break down. <laughs> you know, we may run out of room in our homes. There's things that have a finite life. But if we give these things, we go to a place where we have an abundance that what we release in people and we release as a community is something that is everlasting. Pax, if you go down. But in order to do that, I want to suggest to give generously of those things, you have to live in that. And we know where that comes from. What scripture that comes from? Ephesians 6. Lovely. When it says, take on the whole armor of God. When I was reading that, I was kind of challenged. I said, God, you know, a lot of us as believers, we normally have, what's the helmet? We normally have the helmet of salvation, and we're quick to run with the boots of peace of the gospel. But our loins are very exposed. We have nothing quenching the fiery darts of the enemy. They have been stuck inside of us. And if we have just a helmet and a boot, we're not really effective in warfare. Yeah? We need all of the armor of God. If you just flip to the other one, packs, And this will be circulated in the, um, in the nutshell, so you see that. But you could go back to Ephesians 6 and read this for yourself. This is how God expects us to be seen in the spiritual world. Yeah? Not just with a helmet. Not just with the boots. But we need all those bits. To have those, you've got to have a sense of revelation of what God says of who you are. You need to be walking in relationship with people who are reinforcing this, iron sharpening iron. You've got to be submitted to leadership and walking in a sense of order that you are able to actively, generously give of identity, hope, and revelation. And I'm going to finish here. Pat, if you go down to the other bit. So the final thought and what I want to leave us with is, what do we reflect? So we're not looking at the mirror now. When we stand... Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, when the Spirit of God 
comes and looks at our fruitfulness or where we are called to pray or stand with somebody in a certain situation, what is your reputation in the spirit? Way beyond the truth you will declare, the scriptures that you know, what empowers God to move? What empowers that invisible host to be activated, to give fruit to the words that you declare? And that's got to be something else. That's got to be something that is true on the inside. That's got to be something that the spirits of darkness recognize. It says, hey, Paul I recognize. This one I recognize. But those sons of Sceva, they were whipped and sent on their way. All right? So I want to admonish us as we continue to look at what is our DNA, as we continue to look at our nature, we have got to have a reputation in the spirit. I want to suggest that those scriptures that are buried here and some of those that I gave you are scriptures that define the nature, not of the old man, not of the fleshly nature, but the warrior that God has called us to be.